Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, new buddy of mine, Ronnie Venucci of the band The Killers and of Attaboy Skip and of Fault and of more. More, but we'll get to all of that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That's run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he'll get the message to me. You can also find me on various forms of social media at Lefford Damien. If you want to support the show, best way of doing that, telling everyone you know about it. Just just telling people that you like this podcast. Also, you can head over to patreon.com slash turnoutapunk, or you can subscribe to it and rate it on iTunes, or, uh, or yeah. Or that's it, but, but you know, or, or just just listen. That's that's supporting it too, you know. Uh, also, speaking of support, this thing would not be possible with the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans. Uh, thank you to Vans for uh, being on board this thing and let me do what I want with it because that's been it's been great. Uh, and that's about it. On to today's show. Today on the show, we got my buddy Ronnie Venucci on the show. And see, I. When the Killers came out, I was like, where did this band come from? I knew nothing about them. And then over the years, I heard, of course, about a punk rock connection. And then Tristan and I were talking one day, and he was like, hey, we should ask Ronnie from the Killers to come on the show. And, and uh, yeah, like I, by, that, by this point, I knew about the Attaboy Skip connection, and I, and I knew kind of where I thought this was going to go, but it goes an entirely different place. Ronnie is super cool, and this is a really fun conversation. And I learned a ton like, this is one of those episodes where I really feel like I walked away from it with a better understanding of another little sector of punk, this being the sort of Las Vegas punk scene. And anyway, I'm not going to blabble on blabble, blather, or babble, eh, either one, anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Ronnie Venucci on Turned Out a Punk. Ronnie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Man. It's a pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, it's an honor to have you here. And as I was just telling you off air, Las Vegas music in general, but Las Vegas punk, and I guess by extension, ska punk, is, is kind yeah. of a, a blank spot for me. So I'm very excited to fill that all oh, in today with you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the uh, Vegas by its very nature is sort of punk rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, they've made a, a, an island in, in the desert, so to speak, you know, they've kind of made this, um, 
oasis is a better word for it, I, I suppose. Absolutely. And we're going to get there, but I got to start this off the way they all start off, which is, Ronnie, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Yeah. Um, I was little. <laughs> I was I was 11. I was 11, and there was a there my my mom and dad we moved to california we're from las vegas but we we spent uh a couple of years in northern california and that was a a a, a wonderful experience it was so um different from growing up in las vegas all of a sudden i went from blacktop and 125 degree summers to you know pine trees and hills and things like that and my mom was a firefighter and my dad worked at a prison teaching inmates and, uh, and tending bar a couple nights a week. And, um, w- one of my mom's friends, um, Emily, who we're still friends with today. She, she was 20 or something like that. Was it was a new firefighter herself and just California girl from Sacramento. And she brought in, like all these tapes that had like, you know, what you'd sort of imagine a punk rock tape to look like, you know, mm-hmm. skulls and mohawks and leather and, you know, lots of handwritten mixtapes and things like this. And she would, I played drums and it was, you know, it was like endearing for them to like listen to me play drums, I guess. And then like Emily told me, you know, she gave me like three tapes and it was like, and these guys are from San Francisco. They're called the, you know, the dead Kennedys and the, the singer's name is Jello. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm into Jello. I can get into this guy. Uh, and then there's like corrosion of conformity. And there was like, I forget what the other band, the other tape might've been like, a, just like a, a mixed bag, like a mixtape. And that was my first, you know, intro to, to you know real punk rock music I, I was a heavy skateboarder so i was always listening and watching you know like skate videos and those old sort of um, bones brigade films and stuff and they'd always have like i don't know like Minutemen or 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 some like um you know southern california band um, unsigned band or something do, do some of the, the the music for it, and so I was I was exposed to it. I I knew what it was, but I I didn't get my hands on a tape until our girl Emily showed me that. Emily had yeah. some great taste. Yeah, yeah. Well, I still I still like um, I still like Dead Kennedys. I yeah. I still think I mean they're you know I don't know. There's just um, something about them. Oh, definitely. So, do you know was Emily going to shows? Like, have you talked to her about that? Uh, no. I mean, I'm sure she was. Being from Sacramento, that was a huge sort of that was a stopping point for people making their way up or down mm-hmm. on on tour. So, I'm sure she was doing that. I don't I don't know how she was exposed to it, but I just know that like you know she moved into our our little guest quarters at the spare bedroom in our house, and she brought this ghetto blaster with stickers all over it and a bunch of punk tapes. And I was, you know, it was, I was sort of in love with her and like, she was also like my mom's friend. <laughs> so, uh, and, and before that, you know, you mentioned being a skateboarder and, you know, playing drums. So did you mm-hmm. grow up in a house where music was kind of present? Um, 
Yeah, but I, I was really the only one playing an instrument. My, my dad played a little guitar, so there was always a guitar around in the living room or something like that, and I would always screw around with that. But I was the only one to to really sort of um, make make all the noise in the house. My two other brothers were probably you know deeply annoyed. <laughs> and prior to hearing um, the COC and Dead Kennedys tape and the mixtape, mm-hmm. what kind of music were you into? So, you know, I think the first tape I bought was uh, tapes, you know. <laughs> uh, the tape I remember getting, and uh, um, I went to a music store with my f- with another girl. Girl, I'll show you the way. Um, older girl. I think she was a year or two older than I was. She was a neighbor. Her name was Patria. And I got Head on the Door by The Cure. Um, this is 1986, by the way. So that head on the door, I think it just come out maybe the year before. And, uh, there was like a crowded house (laughs) that was big. I really liked the, you know, those guys from New Zealand. And then, um, oh, what was the, oh, the cars. I probably got like heartbeat city. Um, my mom and dad, I was the firstborn. My mom and dad were always, you know, blasting the music. We always we always had like a, a pretty robust um, stereo system in the living room and and in the car. My dad had this um, '68 VW van, which like had like amps and like house living room speakers in the actual <laughs> thing, and the, it would it would rattle the fucking doors off. And um, he would listen to it, everything. Sometimes it was great. Sometimes it was the old, the older I get. I'm realizing that it was all kind of good. Well, yeah. What kind of stuff was it? Like mainly just sort of like hard rock, I guess, or seventies rock. Man, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was everything from you know I grew up on on, on like Frank Zappa, <laughs> and and uh, a lot of like we a lot of weird like yacht rock, um, like Bob James <laughs> and like Michael Franks and Spirogyra, and um, tons of like Steely Dan. Um, and then, you know, I could just remember around that time, Dire Straits was huge and that, that Brothers in Arms record came out and we, my dad would just rock the shit out of that record. Um, you know, lots of stuff, Steve Winwood, and then, and then all the early, early stuff, you know, all the 60s spaz rock and, and, um, and, and, uh, 70s rock and, and, and things like that. So you name it. If you turn on a classic rock station, my, my dad had the record. He, he had all the hits. And so where were you buying music at that point? Like, I guess, were you just picking it up? So, I mean, where were you getting into music at that point from, do you think? Sam like, Goody, man. Sam Goody. Sam Goody where, where, warehouse Records. Um, And then, you know, it was a big thing, you know, amongst skateboarders. We would trade tapes, too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm, I'm sick of this record, you know, let's, or we, we're, we trade records. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, so I'd get tapes, you know, kind of on loan back and forth to my, my, um, skateboard buddies too. So it's funny. Cause like the early tapes you're into, like you weren't into bad stuff, like crowded house, the cure and the cars are all, well, all C bands, but all amazing bands. Yeah. Yeah. They are all C bands. Yeah. And I definitely hear the Cars influence on some of that Big Talk record. Oh yeah! Oh shit! You found me out. 
I thought enough time had passed. I'm a nerd. I have to know this stuff. <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah, I'm a huge, huge, um, huge Cars fan. Uh, so where did you kind of go um, once you had these tapes in, in Northern California? Like, had you been to any concerts before? Not at that time. I was, you know, I was 11, 1986. I was 10 years old mm-hmm. yeah. you know, when I was getting all this stuff. So I might have been That's 11. Super young. I know. Yeah. I, but I was, you know, at that time I was just, all I wanted to do was be in a rock and roll band. So anything that made noise that had some sort of energy to me, um, I was into it. It didn't matter. You know, the it, videos were just starting to get, I, th- I think we were, I don't think we were rich enough to like have the MTV channel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't get a lot of, exp- I didn't know what these fucking people look like. You know, I just, I just, I just knew it moved me and some of it, um, you know, I, I still listen to today and, and, uh, it just, uh, yeah, that was, I was, I was just kind of a sponge at that time. I was just wanting to play and make music all the time. And so did you, um, sorry, what was the first concert you went to then? Oh, right. A first concert, I think. It was a punk rock show. I remember it was like a mixed. Ba- it was like the Cadillac Tramps. Do you know those guys? Oh, absolutely! I was going to say, awesome band. <laughs> yeah, I think that was my first first live, like going to a show myself. Um, but technically, my first concert apparently was the Pointer Sisters, and I didn't. I don't remember seeing that. I think I was <laughs> just a young boy. Yeah. <laughs> They had some hits. That's that's not a bad band. Yeah. Yeah. Neutron dance. You know? Absolutely. I'm burning up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so was that after you moved back to Las Vegas, I guess, obviously? Um, yes. Yeah. So you know, in 88, um, so from 19, tail end of 1985 to 88, um, we moved back to, we, we, we lived in Northern California and then we moved back to Vegas and uh, got into the heat again. And, and then I think that, you know, you, when you're 12, 13 years old, you're really starting to find your, you know, even though my parents were listening to music all the time, it was that point where I think I was starting to sort of split off and, and do my own thing, um, musically, or at least, you know, listen to and explore on my own. And, um, I think I was like 15 or, or 14 or 15 when I saw the Cadillac Tramps and, and, and got to sort of experience that at the Huntridge Theater in, uh, in Las Vegas, Nevada. And um, there was just like a summer of shows, like whatever, like whatever a cheap, whatever, whenever there was a cheap show in town, I would just, you know, go and check it out. I remember every time Fugazi came to town, I knew I could go if I can get a ticket in time. I, because I could afford five bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, that was, that was the thing. And I, I think that's where I sort of like started to cut my teeth on visualizing at least the, uh, the, the very real, um, the, the, the thought of actually becoming, you know, a, a, a musician, you know, and like, you know, watching the shows and then, you know, 
it just just looking at every element of it, just like from the lights they used to the way that the drums are set up to, to how it sounded and what people were talking about, it was I was just you know sponging it up at that time. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's like a, it's like a, a light bulb going off kind of moment. It was it was it was cra- it was like sensory overload, and then you saw all these <laughs> girls. The, the girls, I remember this one. There was this one chick called Glennis. She was like, I was meeting all these new people, and uh, it was, uh, you know, nobody looked like these people in high school. I was like, <laughs> I was like home. It was, it was, it was fun. I was like, it was, it was with my people. So I guess going back to that, yeah, that first summer of shows, like, who were some of the local bands? Like Vermin from Venus, I guess is one. Oh of them. my god, yeah. Yeah, Vermin. So, yeah, those—I mean, those guys were a little. I mean, I'm sure I've seen them. I've seen so many local shows and a lot of local punk shows. <laughs> I forgot about. I think his name was Dirk Vermin. Right? I think uh, so. I've got one seven-inch by him, but I know they've got like two LPs, and they kept. Yeah. They kept going too because they were they're on that same compilation that you're on, with uh, Attaboy Skip the the Las Vegas Flipside compilation. Oh my God, Flipside Records, yeah. Yeah, you've done your homework. I'm a nerd. I got it. Like you know, as, as to, like <laughs> the only band I knew prior to this interview, though, before doing you know some research and stuff, was like Vermin from Venus because I've had that seven inch. But like mm-hmm. to me, it's it's it seems like such an interesting place for for a scene to develop. So like, were there a lot of kids going to these shows? Yeah, I mean, there was this. What was that punk? Um, Damn, what was this place that used to be called? Um, oh, the Double Down Saloon. Okay. So, or is it Double Down or Double Door? Double Down? I think Double Down. Anyway, um, I mean, that's the place. That's one of the places where you'd go and see punk shows because it was a bar and it had gaming. So it, it like, you could afford to pay the band, you know, 300 bucks or whatever and, and host a show as they were coming home from, you know, uh, or going back to LA or, or just leaving. And, you know, it was kind of, um, not really a destination, um, for, for traveling bands, but there would be, uh, uh, you know, the local bands would, would, would play there too. And uh, Vermin from Venus, there was a few other ones too. Uh, and the, the names, I'm sure if I, if I, if I thought about it long enough, I can, I could think of them, but I would go and, you know, see these people. All my friends were older. And so I'd get snuck in to the back door or something like that, or carry, carry an instrument, in, you know, the classic mm-hmm. things and, and just have to hang out, you know, side stage and, and watch these, watch these guys play. And, um, uh, it was cool. I think there was some relation either through my parents, good friends or, or like a distant cousin that I'm like, there's some relation with Vermin from Venus and <laughs> Ronnie Venucci. That's I, awesome. I don't know. I don't know who it is. Uh, I don't, I think, I think what it is is they're friends with old neighbors or, or, or something like that Okay, okay. of my parents. Yeah. It's funny. I'm sure they're working that killer's connection though, to get gigs and stuff. <laughs> Yeah. You know, we're, we're related. I haven't heard from them. Not their <laughs> uh, style. Maybe yet. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like were you, you mentioned being younger than all these people. Where did you meet them? Was it just through going to that first Cadillac Tramp show? Um, what did I mean? So, I guess 
I, I met all my older friends. I worked at a health food store um, from when I was maybe 15 or 16 until, um, you know, I've graduated until 18. Mm-hmm. And there was, an, there was a guy there that played in a band. His name is John, John Castro. He lives in New York now. He's a bass player. And he had a, he had a band called a lesser, a lesser Dog. Okay. <laughs> and and his band was comprised of a bunch of other guys to you know Vegas is a real incestuous place. It probably still is as far as um bands go. Mm-hmm. And um he had a he had a um he, several people and he, he had his brother in his band and there was a couple other people in the band that were in other bands and like a lesser dog was was more sort of on on the rock and roll like Soundgarden kind of vibe, you know, mm-hmm. more kind of proggy. They were all really good musicians. And then and then the um, the other guys, this guy called Gary Wright, who's sadly no longer with us, was um, played guitar in that band, but he played drums in like three or four other bands and guitar and, <laughs> and guitar in three or four other, other bands. And so I, I made friends with, with Gary and, um, and I just, you know, he would like, Hey, yeah, you know, we're playing a show kid, you know, <laughs> we're playing this backyard party or we're playing like a desert show, you know, where we bring, you know, they'd bring out like, uh, you know, generators and like a bunch of trucks and the band would set up on, you know, the drums would have, you know, disassemble a cardboard box and like they'd, you know, play shows and just, you know, drink, uh, Mickey's big mouths and, and, and big bonfires and punk rock, you know? Yeah. And so I would like sort of tag along with, with those guys to see a bunch of other, um, bands play. I think I saw like no effects play a desert show, like early, early days. Um, and it's just like, wow, this is, this is kind of crazy. It was like, it was, it was like Mad Max. It was, <laughs> you know, it was like, if you, it was just imagine, a, a, you know, generators, um, drums that weren't mic'd and then just everybody had like Marshall half stacks <laughs> <clears throat> it was just loud as shit. And then you got the hum of the generators and like, you know, one guy just like screaming through a box. Um, and it was, it was, I didn't, you know, I didn't drink or anything then. And, and, and so there was, uh, you know, no reason for me to really, um, like party down. I was just sort of like, in, in just in awe of what I was seeing. It was pretty awesome. Oh, totally. So how would that work? Cause like, you know, it's pre cell phones obviously, but like, and it's in the desert, like would people just caravan out to a Kinko's, point in the man. desert? Kinko's people would go to Kinko's, you know, the copy place. Yeah, absolutely. No, I totally know fly. Absolutely. The flyer yeah. system. But like, how would you physically find a spot in the desert where someone's randomly at? Would you be like, turn at Bush number six down this we, desert road? Kind of. Um, it was, what was it? I mean, I would just, I don't remember like the logistics of it. I just yeah. remember hopping in somebody's truck and driving out, just, you know, heading out north on I-15 <laughs> <laughs> until you, and yeah, until you see like, you know, another truck waiting for you, you know, yeah. and then they'll bring you back. 
And uh, yeah, there'd be like a couple generators, loud ass generators, uh, and uh, bonfires and tons of dust. You have to go home, and, like, <laughs> you know, totally to shower, You're covered in dust. Um, and so, like you mentioned, when Fugazi would play, would, where would they play? Like, would they play a desert show, or like, because they wouldn't? No, they play a bar they, show. They they play the Hunters Theater okay. every time they came through. I think it was Hunters Theater. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's I've seen them a couple. Well, maybe th- three or four times, and I think it was all at the Hunters Theater. Yeah, which is no longer in operation I, I think it's still standing um i haven't checked it out in a, in a long time but yeah what a place would shows ever happen in casinos or was that kind of like a completely separate world that didn't really end up happening until um mandalay bay put a house of blues in mm-hmm. in sort of like in the mid 90s i guess maybe late 90s um and then, you know, anybody who could do 1,500, 2,000 seats would go in and, and, and play that. And then that kind of shut down all the sort of DIY um, uh, shows. You know, there'd be shows that there used to be called – there used to be um, a great record store in Vegas called Benway Bob. And this guy, Ron Bun- Benway, and his wife, Kelly, ran this, you know – it's like high fidelity. <laughs> it was just like that kind of, kind of record shop. Yeah. And they would do shows there and then there would be big bees and people would come through and, and, um, um, play there. But once house of blues kind of came up, they had the money because they were, they were able to pay people coming through. And, um, because of the gaming revenue, they sort of had, you know, full pockets. Um, and and so you got to see a lot more bands coming through in that in the mid to mid nineties, and that would it, as soon as that that House of Blues popped up, it was just sucking everybody's um everybody's well was running dry, you know. There were there were, there were fewer um, sort of special shows, um, and people were going because you know bands need to get paid. They go like I can go play a record store and make. 75 bucks out the door or i can go and make 700 bucks at the house of blues so i'm gonna go there and sell t-shirts and shit um i guess going back before that um like what was the first time you actually played in a band um i I guess when i was 13 14 i guess um my band was, I guess my first band, uh, was like, what was it? Oh, Purple Dirt. <laughs> Purple Dirt. Yeah. And, uh, I, there was like, it was kind of, it was, it was a crazy band. It was, we had this, um, great guitar player, Mark Hutchings, and this, this, this guy, we couldn't find a bass player, so we found this really good keyboardist who could play left-hand bass, kind of like the Doors. Yeah. And like, and, like, he was really into, like, OMD and Depeche Mode and, like, you know, a lot of, like, synth stuff. And I was, too. I loved that shit. And 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 then Mark was, like, really into anything that had, like, a 
an amazing guitarist. So he was, he was, he was like Vegas's version of like Dave Navarro. He was kind of like, um, you know, long hair, looked cool, like just knew how to play every, every, all, all the good parts, you know, he's an attorney now. I just ran into him a couple of weeks ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was a strange band. And then there was me and everybody else was maybe three, two, three, four years older than I was. They were all in high school and I was in, in junior high school. That was my first band. What was the vibe of that band? Like musically, what did it sound like? <laughs> oh God. Um, Approximately. Well, we, had a, we had a singer that couldn't sing. So <laughs> it, it was kind of, it was kind of like, um, it was, it was kind of like, like Bauhaus with, but no, without like a good Peter Murphy, like, uh, you know what? I love that vibe. Like any, like it sounds like a, a scrappy version of Bauhaus. That sounds perfect for me. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. It was def, definitely dark. The, the name sort of makes it sound like, um, fun and, and, and Nickelodeon. Yeah. Totally. Um, I don't know who came up with the name. I think that was one of probably four or five names we had. It, it didn't go far, but you know, did it record at all? No, 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 I don't think so. But did you play any shows? Yeah. Yeah. I think we played some shows. I think we did like high school about all the bands and stuff. And it was fun because I got to go, I got to go to the high school I was going to go to the next year and, and see that, you know, um, we didn't win, <laughs> but I met a lot of, you know, I met, you know, during at those, um, actually it, it's funny cause this leads into what you're probably going to ask me about Attaboy Skip cause you mentioned earlier. So we played purple dirt <laughs> fucking name, uh, purple dirt played this show, you know, we just wherever we could play. It was like. A Saturday night at like a Catholic church or Christ, some sort of church, big cavernous church in, in South Las Vegas. And, and there was another band called elephant stone that was playing. And, uh, and then that's how I met those guys that we later formed, um, Attaboy Skip with. So, um, that that was a fun, you know. You'd go and you'd, you'd play shows with other bands, and then basically people would just leapfrog into other bands and other projects before kind of, you know, as they're figuring themselves out, you know. Well, as you were saying earlier, it's a really interconnected scene. Yeah, yeah, very. Um, how did the how did Purple Dirt go over in a church? Given how goth the band was, I think I I did a. I think it was like my one, it was one of many few drum solos I ever did. <laughs> and I, and I, uh, I think that just, it brought the whole house down. I think it went great. You know, the acoustics of a church versus the acoustics of a desert show. I can imagine like Las Vegas. So much had to better, be, dude. Yeah. So much, you had to be adaptive in Las Vegas. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So people were very, you know, creative. Uh-huh. Um, they, 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 they made do with what they had for sure. Um, so yeah, you mentioned meeting the the rest of the people in Attaboy Skip. Like, how did that band kind of come together? It was a total it was a total joke. Um, so so I met 
those guys in Elephant Stone, and they were they were trying to get me to play drums, but I made friends with their drummer, and there was just you know it was like you know stealing someone's girlfriend. It's just I, so I I said you know that's really nice, but Jesse's a friend of mine, and I you know can't uh, can't do this. So you know maybe we could form something else. So we we formed another band. And we called it Bar Mitzvah Swimwear. <laughs> and it was great. We got some college radio play. We did some like home recordings. And then that kind of spun off into another band called Fault. When um, through a show Bar Mitzvah Swimwear played, um, there was this other guy, Ted Sable, who, and now, now I'm 17, 16, 17 years old. And, uh, you know, we made quick friends with Ted because he was just like a, an amazing guitar player. He's left-handed. He had like super long hair and, um, me and Ted hit it off really well. We were also playing bar mitzvah swimwear had, had, um, a really great guitarist called Shay Meridad, who's in Southern California. Now he's, he still shreds, but I don't, I don't think he plays in bands. I think he does music for, um, commercials and stuff now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we formed another band because we were all listening to like, we were starting to getting, getting into, you know, more punk or, or, or even like sort of the new hardcore stuff that wasn't really hard, that hardcore. But, um, Shay like turned me on to, to, um, a bunch of the, the DC stuff. Of course we went to go, I met Shay, God damn, where did he say? Oh, in high school. And he and I would go to the Fugazi shows. And then we'd be like, what's well, his DC thing? Oh. And then there's Bad Brains. Okay, where's Bad Brains? And, and we, we'd sort of like uh, um, sort of regionally um, research these people because a lot of time they would they would do shows together. Not Fugazi and Bad Brains, but um, other acts. And, and it was it – was, uh, Anyway, I'm going off, but no, uh, and, and that's what this show's all about. Believe me, you're, yeah. you're, this is the bread and butter of this show. But like, yeah. but you're right. You had to kind of it's like pre-internet. You had to piece stuff together. There's no like, if you like, and, then click these yeah. artists. You had to like look at a thanks list, look at a flyer. Totally, yeah. Um, that's and that's how you found out. So, you know, we, we met Ted and Shay and I and Ted um, formed another band called Fault, which we were basically just like ripping off helmet and like sunny day real estate and uh and it was you know and and we were heavily influenced by this sort of new wave of sort of you know this melodic hardcore you know we didn't we didn't want it to sound too too pop you know so so we did this we, we had a band and where ted sang and, um, it, it was, I think we did some recordings. I have them somewhere. Oh, I got to hear that. That sounds awesome. Oh man. Oh, Ted was great. Now Ted plays guitar uh, with, with the killers now live because Dave is sort of sitting, sitting out for a little while. And, and so, you know, Ted and I have had this, you know, relationship for 25 years now and always been playing in bands Release the fault. Come on, you gotta Release do it. Release the fault. Release oh, yeah. the fault. So, so yeah. Um Yeah, fault. Fault was good. Fault was fault was a lot of fun. But Attaboy Skip came from 
a, a joke. Somebody, somebody um, was talking to a promoter at a show and there was a, a band called skank and pickle was mm-hmm. going to play at the hundreds theater and they needed an opener and somebody just shot their mouth off like, uh, yeah, I, my band can play. And it was our friend Justin and he didn't have a band and he just, it was the tail end. It was the, it was summer and he had a, a yearbook with him. And at the, and our friend Skip, whose name is Dustin, he went by Skip. His family took out one of those ads in the back of the, you know, the yearbook. And it said, you know, like way to go. It said, attaboy, Skip. Congratulations. Yeah. Next, next year college or, you know, something like that. And everybody thought that was funny that his parents did that and kind of embarrassed him. And so we, so Justin said, yeah, I have this band. It's called Attaboy Skip. And, um, you know, the promoter said, well, if you can get me a demo tape with three songs on it by Friday, um, you've got the gig. And so he called everybody he knew, formed this sort of ad hoc ska group. Nobody, I didn't, I didn't know much about, I knew madness and I knew, you know, I, I didn't know anything about ska. I just thought it was like, I knew, I knew, yeah, okay, so it's like fast reggae? Okay, cool. All right, fine. Well, you knew the Bad Brains and you knew, uh, maybe yeah, I knew, yeah, yeah. So I, I knew a little, I, I kind of had it, you know, but I didn't know what like this new, yeah. sort of this third wave of ska, I didn't know what that was all about. I thought Rocket from the Crypt was ska because they had horns. <laughs> Yeah, which I I I love Rocky Pickett. Same, absolutely. Um, uh, but uh, he asked me, "Is like sure, let's do it." I got a garage, and uh, and so we made we we made these um, ridiculous songs, just just out of just sheer ridiculousness. And we had our first show as a warm up. Um, once we got, we, we made three songs, got the gig and then the gig was like a, a month away. And so we did these sort of warm up shows in like Provo, Utah. And they just, they went over crazy good. Like we'd never, we were playing in like, we we're in fault and playing to like 14 people. Yeah. And it was like all moody music and you know, it would, and, but all of a sudden we were put in front of like 300 kids, everybody's <laughs> dancing. Everybody's having a good time. And we're, we're, we're just making ridiculous music up and, 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 and having a lot of fun doing it. It was totally a joke. It was not, it was not meant to be serious at all, but because everybody's having such a good time, we're like, what the fuck, let's make a record. And, uh, so that's, that's, that's how that happened. <laughs> so I was going to say before, like, did fault tour, like were you guys, uh, were other no. bands kind of making it over to Utah and stuff to play shows? No, I, I think we might've done it a, a few shows. Like we would do like tennis court shows and stuff, you know, <laughs> that was, yeah. You know, if you didn't, if that was like, um, you know, next step was the desert after tennis court. <laughs> But um we just set up on a really tennis cool. court? Yeah, we'd go to like um St. George, Utah or like Riverside, California. We'd find some tennis courts, plug into the power, play the sh- you know, do it all like without permits and all that stuff. Play play shows until we're shut down and then, you know, go eat at Denny's. That's awesome. I've never heard of those types yeah. of shows. 
yeah, yeah. We 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 had ingenuity. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, Attaboy Skip was kind of popular out of the gate. Did like was so was, it, was yeah, but a, a big local following too. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess. I mean, more than we we'd seen in our sort of respective, um, you know, quote hardcore unquote bands. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so did uh, did you kind of break up the other bands at this point and kind of focus on Attaboy Skip? Yeah, everybody was just like, well, nobody really wants to hear us play. These are so much more fun. We're able to, like, let's get all the people we So Shay joined Attaboy Skip, and he shredded, and Ted was in Attaboy Skip, and then our friend Lauren played bass, and then Brandon um, Campbell played bass, and and uh and then brandon left on a mormon mission and lauren took over again and you know we had a horn section that was sort of consistently a sax um you know a tenor sax and a and a, and a trumpet and then once in a while we'd have you know uh, so, some other horn players come in some some uh you know baritone sax or some trombone or something and uh but it was so much fun it was just like nobody was nobody was trying to put on anything other than a good time and that's how we did it yeah and so were there other bands that were kind of making up the ska scene or was it just kind of like just a general sort of punk uh, yeah. scene it came it came um there was um there was one band that was like a punk punk band that became they kind of maybe smoked a little bit too much weed and like got slower and then just did a bunch of just up, you know, just the, the, you know, the ands on the guitars and, uh, 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 and they were called, Oh, is it professor pun? Professor pun. Yeah. I'm, I'm cheating. Yeah. I'm looking at the track listing on the, on the Las Vegas flip side. Yeah. Yeah. Professor pun. And then that, that turned into like the Watson brothers and, and, uh, um, those guys were great too. They, it, Professor Pun, like, man, they had something. They had something going on. And then, then they just kind of changed a little bit when this ska thing hit Vegas. Um, yeah. So what were they doing before that? Like, like a different style? They were, they were kind of like, they were sort of, they kind of reminded me of like the Toadies or, or, oh, yeah. um, that kind of vibe. They were kind of, kind of sloppy and he had a great voice they were sort of pixies-esque just no frill just bass guitar and drums and uh, i think it was a three-piece and then they got it then they got ernie watson in and it turned into another band but yeah they were they were great and so were you playing with with attaboy skip though still like kind of these like what was the scene like that you were playing in before the sky wave hits yeah, it was it was basically like um you know Sunday nights which was like a local locals only type of thing where all the top local bands would would play at the Hunters Theater. Um I keep bringing up the Hunters Theater because it really was sort of like ground zero it's where everybody met. It was like it was like um the island uh on that 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 old show Lost, you know, where <laughs> everybody went to die. Um but, um, yeah, we'd have these, you know, they would have these nights where, um, bands were brought on. And if you're good enough, you'd get like the opening slot. And then, you know, the next month you'd move up a slot and things like that. And, 
it was a, it was a real happening, you know, people would come out and it would be the thing everybody would talk about at school on Monday, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned like, this is the place that's like the Island and loss where people go to die type thing, but like, <laughs> but, or like they're dead already. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah. you know, there's not a lot of bands that are getting out and touring nationally or, or internationally, at least that came up to Toronto or that at least I heard of, um, mm -hmm. were bands touring like other than just, as you say, Riverside and kind of Utah as well. Yeah, I, there were, I mean, Vegas was always a stop. It just wasn't, it was never, it was, I don't even know if it's seasonal is the word, but it was just kind of, it would, it would, there would be a venue and then it would, something would happen. They would lose their liquor license or something. And then that venue would, would just, you know, disappear. And I remember hearing about like early shows like Nirvana playing at this place on Boulder highway which I forget what it's called. Um, Nine Inch Nails had early shows there. And I think people would just go and if they're on tour, you know, it's the first, it's three and a half hours away from LA or four hours away from LA. And it would be like, well, we can go pick up some bread in Las Vegas and then make our way up to, you know, Sacramento or San Francisco or San Jose or something like that. Um, or, or into Arizona down to Phoenix or something like that it was kind of, it was, um, it was close enough that people, um, could either bypass it or, or swing through if they wanted. So it wasn't really a, a place that would always host shows besides the hundreds. And then that went away. But what about as far as like, you know, bands like yourselves touring out of there, did you guys tour nationally or, or try to tour nationally at all? Yeah, we did. Um, you, are you talking about, Attaboy uh, Skip. Attaboy yeah. Yeah. We, we did some shows. I don't think we really got farther than we like New Mexico or something. I remember playing the launch pad. Don't, you ever play a launch pad in New Mexico? We played two shows in New Mexico. One was at this like crazy place that looked like the cantina from Star Wars. Um, yeah. That sounds like the launch pad. Maybe may that was that. Then that, that sounds like yeah. where we played that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so we, yeah, we, we did there, you know, we, um, we shared a, we got on a, a, a sort of a, you know, DIY record label called Horchata Records. And, um, we, the only other band that was on Horchata was the Aquabats mm. out of Southern California. <laughs> and the, these are these guys that would sort of dress up in, um, Superhero costumes. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, yeah. Superhero costumes made out of like scuba gear. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd have different characters like that, you know, the, the professor and powdered milkman and, and all these different things. And those guys actually are geniuses because they turn that into a kid's TV show called Yo Gabba Gabba. Which you played on years later. Yeah. 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 And so that was a, a kind of a weird, you know, circle. Yeah. You always find yourself sort of, you know, completing the circle some some at, at somewhere somewhere down the line i find around here it always connects back to punk somehow yeah yeah it does yeah um but i i, I have three kids and so yo gabba gabba and your appearance on yo gabba gabba is forever etched into my memory every episode yeah. of yo gabba gabba oh, spaceship adventure <laughs> it's an amazing show like it, it's it yeah. was a, a great a great children's show yeah it's really cool i don't know what happened to it um, I think there were some issues. Yeah. 
with uh with networks and stuff like that mm-hmm. but you know it wasn't for the show being bad that's for sure yeah yeah i know that i know i know one of them, justin and christian both those guys were in in uh, in the acrobats and i think justin's doing movies and stuff now so good for them yeah absolutely so where did you like how did attaboy skip kind of wrap up like and like why did it come to an end or or did it kind of overlap with um it, it kind of overlapped with um another band i i had called um expert on october yeah it was like at that time where like i was 18 and i was like not interested in 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 like um really doing goofball stuff anymore i kind of I, I i liked it but you know i was becoming a good musician <laughs> and and i wanted to make you know i was listening to a lot of different records um you know more i guess serious stuff and um actually i never really listened to a lot of ska music anyway so i was always my head was always out a different window i think and okay. um and and so i remember i moved out got this little house in in this little central neighborhood in vegas really small house like 600 square feet or something like that and um it had like a weird two bedroom scenario and i slept in the really tiny bedroom and then the big bedroom was like where my drums and like all the amps and stuff were and uh i met these other guys and um these two other guys called taylor milne and caleb linskoog and caleb was sort of um um, sort of a budding songwriter who's writing really serious, like personal grown up type of type of music. And I was like, fuck, you know, that's, I'm kind of into that, you know, let's do that. So me and Ted um, made a band with Taylor and Caleb and we called it expert on October. And so, um, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah. Yeah. And so what were you going to say? I was, who are the kind of main influences on expert on October? Do you think? Musically, so, I think it was really. I think Ted was listening to a lot of Rolling Stones. I was listening to like, I was a huge and still a huge fan of um, Ben Folds and Ben Folds Five, and and that kind of North Carolina scene. I was I learned a lot about like the bands from out there, and um, I was listening to being like Super Chunk and and. Um, oh, what was a band from Boston, Guster. I was kind of getting into like harmonies. I wanted, I want, I really liked harmonies. I loved the three-part harmonies that um, Ben Folds Five was doing, and and that drummer Darren Jesse was like my favorite drummer. Still is one of my favorite drummers, and he plays with like Sharon Von Etten and Warren Drugs and stuff now. But um, and he does his own thing, um, Hotel Lights, which is really good. But, um, and then Taylor and Caleb were sort of swinging from Radiohead's nuts. And <laughs> I really did, I really wasn't on the Radiohead train until much later that I discover their, their genius, you know? Mm-hmm. I was always like, I, I remember making the comment and I, I hated it, but I was, you know, it's just like, I like Pink Floyd better. You know, I was like, I was just kind of like, I don't know. You gotta listen to the wall. That's pretty fucking good. Um, 
and so I was sort of, you know, denouncing the, the, the gospel of Radiohead and, um, which I don't now, I think they're a wonderful man. Uh, and so that's kind of what we sounded like. We were kind of sloppy and it turned into a different, it was really, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was kind of like, it kind of sounded like, um, Wilco maybe, or, or, uh, or, you know, Rufus Wainwright that just had it just sort of sprung on our radar. And so we were really um, taken aback by his songwriting and his, the way he would build chords and things like that. Um, and Rufus Wainwright is a long way from punk rock, I realize, but um, maybe not as far as, as people think. No, it definitely connects back. I'm sure. Give me a minute. I'll connect it back. <laughs> But, you know, that's a kind of that's a kind of thing we were doing, you know. Absolutely. I've watched like there's I think there's only really a live video. That's the only thing I've really found online of it um, at all. But it's it's great. I was just wondering what the influences were. But like you're saying, it doesn't really fit in with punk rock. So was there a separate scene that was more like indie leaning that you guys kind of played in? I think so. I think as as like punk rock was sort of bifurcating in in uh in the scene a little bit and people were sort of um you know i don't know developing maybe a softer side Mm -hmm. and we were seeing that with like hardcore there there was like this you know people that were in hardcore bands were all of a sudden doing it was more hardcore to have these really quiet breaks (laughs) and stuff like if you listen to you know that whole scene of uh like sunny day real estate or texas is the reason or all that j tree stuff and yeah 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 so so that was kind of and then that would sort of spring off another sort of more folky you know more uh, yeah i don't know what you call it just a softer thing and i think that's what we're sort of fell into and so how like how did you meet the the other guys doing the killers at this point? Like, did you guys play together at all? So, so no, no, we didn't. That's the weird thing is I, I say Vegas was incestuous, but mm-hmm. Mark, I had seen Mark out before, I think, cause he was, he was playing in another local band. Mark's our bass player, Mark Stoller. And, um, but, but besides that, I, I d- hadn't met um, Brandon or Dave. And the story is that I had, I had quit Expo in October because I, I saw a Tom Waits concert <laughs> in Eugene, Oregon. And I was just like, Oh fuck, I want to play the marimba. I want to, I want to get better musically. And you know, I'm not, I just felt like, like I was sort of um, splintering off from the group a little bit because we were all, all really good friends and everything, but I just felt like, I wanted to get better and like better in a hurry. And I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to make records and we made a record. Um, it's on Spotify. I, I just saw it, um, like six months ago, somebody brought it to my attention. Um, and so I, I quit and I, and I was, you know, I was 23 at this time, maybe 22. And, and after I saw the Tom Waits concert, I was just like, 
oh, I, I think I want to do, I think I want to do that. I think I want to do more. Um, he had these, these guys in, in his band that just totally inspired me to want to learn other instruments, you know, marimba and, and, and just, you know, think differently about drums. It was all of a sudden more jazzy and more, um, um, it was just, I was sort of breaking off from listening to more aggressive music and getting into more experimental, um, kind of soundscapey things. And, um, Tom Waits is one of my favorite. And, and, uh, after seeing him live, I just said, um, I'm going to quit. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to school and major in music. And, um, I think, uh, which I did. <laughs> and then it was, uh, but my, my house, we still, we lived in this house and where, where all my roommates were musicians. And we had a, a female roommate called Anne and you this beautiful, talented, super funny, super great, um, um, girl had a band and her drummer got, um, who, who ended up being a really good friend of mine. Um, had a trip to Japan planned and they needed a drummer. And, uh, I was, they called me, I was out at the lake saying, Hey, can you, can you play drums tonight? We have a gig. I'm like, I don't know your songs, you know, <laughs> but sure I'll play it. And then that's when I met Brandon and Dave because they were also on the gig as the killers. It was one of their first gigs. And, um, the drummer was horrible and I was in music school and I knew a bunch of different drummers and I was, my nose was to the ground. I just wanted to get a degree and a job and I wanted to grow up a little bit and I was trying to find them drummers and I couldn't, no one really worked out. They tried another guy and one of them, um, Brandon or David just said, why don't you, why don't you just join? Why don't you just be our drummer? And I was like, I don't know. Uh, are you guys, do you, will you, do you want to practice every day? It's like, yes. Uh, okay. I was not expecting an everyday rehearsal scenario. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. And I think that was my, um, my frustration with, with the expert October thing is there, it just seemed to be lack that crazy ambition needed to get the wheels off the ground for a band. You know, you have to, there has to be this sort of abandonment of, real things of reality of jobs of relationships and mm-hmm. you know your future you sort of have to you know throw that out the window and and really go for it oh definitely a hundred percent did yeah. you know from that first show like did you did like i know they had a lot of the songs or you had a lot of the songs or they had a lot of songs right out of the gate did you know right away like damn th- these this band is gonna be something with a no, better drummer was, i mean well no because but I knew that they were special. They were doing, you know, this is 2001. So, you know, you put your favorite like, um, trucker cap on and you look at your pedals and you pretend like you don't want to be there. That was the style. Like okay. that was, that was like, nobody was like giving it. There was a few of that sort of genre of music. There were other, there were other bands, you know, punk rock bands, are excluded from this because there were other bands like really giving it. And I re- remember that was part of my frustration is because my, my band X Bar October was very sort of relaxed and kind of 
kind of mopey and I would go out and see, you know, um, Oh fuck. What's this guy's name? Oh, he looked like a gym teacher wore gym shorts. Um, uh, uh, like, uh, like in a yeah. hardcore band. Yeah. Um, and I remember seeing this guy and even though the music was vastly different, I just remember this, this guy reaching out to people and like, just, it was joyous. It wasn't mean or nasty. It was like, people were into it. What the fuck is this guy's name? They're still doing it. He looks like a creepy gym teacher. <laughs> kind of, uh, Rollins? Not, no, not no, but Rollins, Rollins kind of did that too. He does kind of a creepy gym teacher vibe a little no, bit. No, he would actually wear like the bike shorts, those blue bike shorts. Damn. Blue bike shorts. Oh you my would, God. You would, know, you would know him. Uh, I will think, I will think about this and put it into the intro and, 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 yeah, you know, okay. text you and I'll jog your memory if I, if I comes to me, but I'm trying to think. So, so, you know, my point is that I would see Brandon and he would just be at that time, he would shout a lot. He would just be shouting and, and just giving it. And he would be wearing like makeup and like, they have like this crazy, like glam thing going on. And I was like, damn, finally, like something <laughs> is, something's different. Yeah. Like something's different here. And, you know, he had like this, like Gary Newman, like replicants vibe, uh, um, the vocal effect was like a really tight delay. So tight that it like, it was two delays. So it kind of chorused out a little bit and it sounded, it just sounded crazy. And I was just like, wow, I like these guys. Shit. If they get a, a better drummer and bass player, like this, this might be really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And it was like echoing all the early bands I used to listen to, like, you know, like, you know, Bauhaus and the cure and, and like old, uh, ministry and front 242 and all those, those kinds of like early synthy, um, you know, darker kind of bands. Um, it was fun. It was fun to watch them. So like, as you know, we've kind of been talking about, there's not really like much of a music industry to kind of tap into there. Like how, how did it get to the point where you're signed to like lizard King records? Like how did that go from where you're forming or joining the band to the next step? Yeah, so I joined and we wrote every day and I mean it was like it was it was like I got to go to work at 3. Can we can we start jamming at 10 a.m.? I'm like, "Yeah, let's go." You know, I've got class at 2 anyway, so let's let's do it, you know? And mm-hmm. and so I was going to school full-time. Uh everybody was working full-time and we just any chance we we got to 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 play together, we we would. And we would record and write just with room mics, you know, record room mics. It sounded really good, actually. Every day we would, we would record and write, and then we would like plan for a gig on Friday or Saturday. And um, the bass player in the band quit after like one rehearsal because we were just, we, I think we were just outpacing him. And he couldn't, he couldn't commit to doing it every day and stuff. Um, and so we would add, um, the, the element of, of finding a bass player, um, on the weekend for the weekend gigs. So we'd try out people like on a Thursday for a Friday gig, (laughs) 
we the three of us would like write songs and then we would try out bass players and, and uh mark was actually the first bass player we tried out but he he wouldn't leave his band so we had to fit you know we had to try some other people out and we had some some really um special gigs <laughs> uh where we would, we would just drink a lot, you know, and that was my first, I, you know, I'm 24 at this time, maybe 20, 23, 24. And I, I didn't really hang out with anybody who, who drank alcohol. I was like hanging out with like, all my friends were like either straight edge or like Mormons and, you know, mm-hmm. nice people. <laughs> and then, so I met, I met Dave and Brandon and, all of a sudden, you know, they're choking down cocktails. And I'm like, shit, I'll try it too. I'll <laughs> sure. And so our shows would be like these sort of drunken ruckus, you know, shows. And I would record them, you know, with my old video camcorder. Mm-hmm. And then I would play them back. We would go, we would watch them as a band before we rehearsed. And it was a total bummer. <laughs> it was like... Holy shit. And that's how we got good though. I, I, I think watching ourselves suck and be drunk, um, sort of snapped us into quick shape. <laughs> and I, and I got the whole, the, the video thing because I was in school, I was going to school for music and that's how, that's how we learned about, you know, if we were sucking or not there, you know, if we were working on, uh, a marimba etude or, or some sort of snare drum piece, we'd record it and then watch it back and then analyze it. And I was effectively just bringing that whole steez into uh, to a rock and roll band scenario. But it, I think it helped us. Yeah. Because well. it, 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 it got us tight fast. Uh, and what kind of bands were you playing with at those early shows? It, it was just, it was anything and everything. Mm-hmm. It, um, anything we can get to sort of cut our teeth, and then it got, it, then it got kind of cool. Then it got creative again. Where, again, there was a there was a, a void, there was a loss for 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 venues, and so people had to get creative. And another Sunday night thing, or maybe it was a Tuesday night. It was like normal night at the uh, at the um, what was called? Oh man, what was it called? Um, yeah, what I forget what the, what the damn club was called. But we play this. Um, we would play this club all the time. Where there'd be like it. It would be very Euro. It'd be like a bunch of like dark '80s like dance music, crazy characters, people like dressing in drag, and and then a band would play, and then we got to be that band like at least once a month, and. Um, that's where it got fun. It got really fun. Damn, what was that club called? I'm still stuck on the blue shorts. I'm still, yeah. <laughs> I'm still trying to frag my brain for that one. Man, I, what was the name? Oh, what was the name? Oh, it's coming to me. Um, they would play... Uh, Suicidal Tendencies? No. No, no. They were like more, even more underground. They like played with like Dismemberment Plan a lot. Um, fuck, I can't, I can't remember the name of it, but, um, man, they call them. Not like Fat Day or something. 
No, no. Damn it. I, uh, it it'll come to me. I'll, I'll probably call you at 3 a.m. and say, hey, it's these guys. <laughs> okay, that's totally, totally. I'm, I Believe me, that's the kind of calls I want to be woken up with. Yeah, uh, but, you know, see, my point with that whole thing was that I was seeing that, you know, these other genres of music, were were doing different things. Uh, on the one hand, you had the, the mopey, creative, soundscapey bands, the folky bands, the punk bands that weren't afraid to get out and just be on the floor with people. I was just like, how do we put that all in the one band and rule the fucking world? You know, and uh, and so I, you know that's that's kind of what I wanted. I wanted that kind of connection, um, and uh, yeah, pretty damn close to it now. That's good. No, absolutely. And I think that's the, you know, and we're not as punk rock as I want us to be, but, um, you know, <laughs> well, I, I, like, know, a, I like good songs. It's working. It's working. What you're doing is working. I'd say stick with it. Everything's, everything's <laughs> chugging along pretty good. Um, oh. but I think like, I think the thing that, you know, I've loved about watching your band rise is that you are a band that like, like yeah like you're saying it's punk rock because you had to kind of build it from scratch like obviously there's a scene but like you know no like i can't think of a band that ever did it like you did it from from there yeah yeah um yeah i mean we did it we i mean we weren't um at all different as far as an ethos goes as as far as we i mean i was right there with the other punk guys at Kinko's, you know, waiting to get my fucking green, whatever discounted paper was on sale to get my flyers quartered and, you know, had my, my, my poster putty out. And I still have some early flyers of killer shows. It was, it was a lot of fun. I think one of them had me in just underwear on the, on the, <laughs> on the so we've, you know, we've come a, a long way. We might break that that style out again soon, but, um, yeah, we weren't too, too different. I mean, we were all just trying to, to get shows, get people to buy our now CDs, you know? Yeah. We'd go and record our, our get a bunch of CDRs, stack 25 CDRs and, uh, make, you know, homemade. It was just, just like it was in the eighties where we'd make our own little covers and track listing and it was fun. And I guess like going back to that, like what are, like, what's one band that you kind of think should have, should have been out there or should be out there on a grander scale from Las Vegas, do you think? From Las Vegas? Yeah. Like one band that you kind of saw growing up or, or like played with that you're like, that band should have been like, you know, one of the big ones. Yeah. Um, there was this punk band called, they had a couple different names. Um, but I guess their last, their last name was called the reformed. Okay. Or the Ref, of the reform. And they, they had this singer, um, Tyson who actually played in big talk with me on, on the, on, on the first, first tour. Um, he played, he played bass. He was, he was the singer and those guys um, just had something going on. I think they were being looked at by Epitaph. You know, I think Brett was was looking to sign them. I don't know, but they they had like 
a lot of cool shit going on where it was fast, hungry sounding. He had like a cool voice. Um, and they would just sing about like girls and snowboarding and like, um, you know, car drive-bys like punk rock, you know, like, like crazy, like, um, kind of hood shit, I guess. But, um, but they were all, these nice Mormon boys that that were from really nice families. And so that, you know, and maybe a little more well-to-do than the rest of them. Like I remember Ben, the drummer had like a really nice Pearl drum set. I was like, damn, those guys guys are famous, you know? And like, they sounded great. Like they sound, they always sounded good. And I was, I always, whenever I see um, Tyson, I said Tyson before. I hope. Um, I I would all I always say you know I was a big big fan. One of the guys got a girl pregnant, and like the whole band, and they were all like a few of them were like brothers and cousins. It was like a Kings of Leon type of thing, mm-hmm. and and then the band just stopped playing. It just stopped. They're like. I, I'm going to be a father. I got to get a real job, go to school now. And they just abandoned it, but they were so good. The reformed. I've kept you for forever, Ronnie, and I could talk to you way longer. Would you come back at some point for a part two? Yeah, absolutely. If I'm not too boring and, and sort of um, meandering. Are you kidding me? This is what this is the bread and butter <laughs> of the show. Like, okay. All right. I'm like, I honestly have learned so much today about the scene that like, yeah, it's been like a real blank spot for me. Like, I think I know more about every other state punk rock history than Nevada's. Yeah. It's strange. And like, you're not going to find like many Reno bands, although I'm sure there are, but seven seconds, seven seconds. Yeah. They're They're from from Reno. Reno? Yeah. I think they're from Reno, right? Oh shit. Well, I, I stand corrected. I thought I'm, I'm under the impression that, the majority of, of the heartbeat of Nevada is, is in Las Vegas with, with, with regards to the, the music scene, but shit, seven seconds. Okay. I did but, not know, but, that. but I can't think of anyone else. So yeah. <laughs> I think you still have made your point on that one. Um, but before I let you go, like how did Mr. Brightside kind of get out there? Like how did that first seven inch come about? Um, like, mm. cause once again, like it, you know, did you have a demo tape before that? We did, yeah. And actually, the bright side that everybody knows was essentially like the second demo that we made for that song, um, and we just ended up, keep, you know, keeping it. Oh, that whole first record is a demo, basically. Oh wow, that's just all of our demos. We this guy let us use a recording, his home recording studio in Berkeley, California, and said he'd record it for free if it got a point, if it got picked up within a year. So it was kind of, you know, kind of like a spec deal type of thing. Mm-hmm. And he was connected and knew this mixer called Mark Needham, who, who's, who's sort of a big time mixer, but in, enjoyed, enjoyed, you know, mixing these new bands and, and seeing it through. And we're still good friends to this day. Um, that's how it got out. Interestingly enough, the the seven inch that you're talking about, Joby from the guitar player from the Bronx. Yeah, I, I, good he, friend of mine. He, he did all the art for that. Oh, I've never heard him talk. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, he did all the art for that seven inch. You know, when we first got signed to 
Island, the Bronx had just gotten signed too. And so we do a lot of shows with them, which was sort of like, looking back at it now, that's kind of maybe an odd pairing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but we love those guys. That's another band. Oh my God. I love every bit of of the Bronx. And um, that we've got, you know, made friends with those guys. And, and we, we actually did a Christmas song. We used to do Christmas songs every year. We did a Christmas song with um, Mariachi Al Bronx. Yeah, I totally remember the one that came out. You know, they were like, yeah. Like if I can't think of too many bands that are a, a collection. It's Matt of, the singer. Matt's, Matt? Matt's, yep, on vocals. Yeah. So I remember Matt. We we were playing, and I think we used to flip flop a lot. We were playing at this place in Vegas called the Ice House, which is I don't even know if it's it's probably a, a vintage store now or something. But we played this show together, and he was out there in the audience. It was it was a full on like punk rock show like like the kind like the old Elks Lodge type of shows the VFW shows we used to play those all the time too um but he did this one move where he slid on his belly while singing at the same time and hit the bass drum <laughs> with his head at the exact moment of like this crash or something you know it was like that guy became my hero after seeing that because <laughs> It couldn't have been more perfect. And he didn't even act like that was like, he was just, just a total pro about it. He, he didn't act like that was something special. It's just like something he did and just kept on going with it. And I just was like, shit, man, that is awesome. He is a great front person. I, I yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah. The uh, belly slide into the bass drum, you know, put that one in your, in your back pocket. <laughs> we did a tour together and every night it would be like, trying to one-up each other like, just be like uh, i'm sure i'm sure i mean god damn and drummer is such a great drummer too amazing drummer and now he's left the band now he plays in social distortions they've got jared in who's oh, also a wow. sweet sweet dude wait who's playing with the bronx now jared who also plays with seal S- really yeah jared jared wait a minute what's his last name uh oh my gosh i'm blanking jared. out he plays in hope conspiracy too and played oh in Gosh, I think I know him. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you've definitely crossed paths. I'm definitely. Oh man, that's so cool. Yeah, it's there. Like I, as you know, I can't think of too many bands that are a collection of more sweet people to hang out with. Yeah, it was really. It was like we, when we first saw them, we we saw them before we met them. You know, mm-hmm. and so it was. It was a little. We weren't. We were a little scared of them. <laughs> And they couldn't be more. They would come out and every show, you know, we toured with them, you know, for a while and they would come out and support every show and like just help out. I mean, this is when we were all, everybody's carrying, uh, you know, their own gear. We we're making 110 bucks a show. We had the Ford Econo line. Um, like the Minutemen. Yeah. yeah. Like the Minutemen. The Minutemen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I- as I say, Ronnie, this has been incredible. And anytime you want to come back, the door is always open. Oh, man. Cool. Just be careful what you wish for. Thank you, Ronnie, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Ronnie will be back for a part two at some point in the future. Um, but we do not know when. 
Uh, I still don't know who that person was in the, the blue bicycle shorts that he's referring to. I'm, I'm, I'm racking my brain. But if you know, please send an email to Turn Out a Punk Podcast or Turn Out a Punk Footnotes at gmail.com with Chris O'Toole and myself. We'll, we'll dissect that one further, I'm sure. Well, that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, oh, wait. <laughs> I almost forgot. We have a do uh, who's on the show next week. Next week on the show, coming back to the show after a long hiatus because of, uh, well, years and years have gone by, actually. But my buddy Nick Woge from the band Cold World, ex of Magnus, and uh, now, like, uh, uh, you know, for concepts out of Boston, an incredible shoe designer and, and clothing designer. And one of my favorite people to talk to. I love talking to this dude. And we get into some debates next week on punk and, and everything. Uh, so you're going to have to listen for that one. That'll be coming out later on this week on the show. And then uh, after that, we're going to have more episodes, two more episodes next week. That's what I'm trying to do, you know. Just keep it, keep it, keep it coming. Keep the faucet turned on and the turned out of punk flowing. That's what I'm saying right now. Anyway, thank you, everyone, for listening. Stay safe. Make your own culture. Stay inside if you can. Or certainly stay the fuck away from other people. And if you do go outside, wear a mask. And uh, I will see you next week. Go out there and make your own culture. Sign your organ cards. Bye. I love you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.